Hello and welcome to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. Conversations with inspiring business people throughout the three counties of Herefordshire, Worcestershire and Gloucestershire. And now it's time for today's episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, hello and welcome to this episode of the Thriving Three Counties podcast. I'm Dan Barker and I'm online today with our guest. I first met her at a networking event several years ago uh, and I instantly remembered her and her business due to the unique positioning and business offering. Uh, I do bang on about niching quite a lot. I'm a big fan and I always mention her as a great example of a niched business. She's a bilingual graphic designer and intercultural management trainer. Her bilingual design company helps clients create a social impact in the UK and abroad, and she's also the host of the Bicultural Podcast, so you can see the theme. She is Janina Newman of Janina Newman Design. How are you doing? Hi, Dan. I'm very well, thank you. Delighted to be here. Good. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate it because uh, I know you're, you're a busy lady, um, <laughs> but it's, it's cool to have you on. Um, first of all, before we get started, your website is yaninanewmandesign.co.uk. That's um, right. Which I'll just spell it out because um, it's J-A-N-I-N-A-N-E-U-M-A-N-N and then design.co.uk. Um, and we don't want people to call you Janina. <laughs> <laughs> it can happen, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I liked it. Uh, the other day we were on a Zoom call and you'd written Yanina and then in brackets, Yanina with a Y. <laughs> that did make me laugh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm trying to help people because what ended, what happened when we all went online is basically half the room might call me Janina and the other half <laughs> might call me Yanina and then people would get really confused if they hadn't met me before. <laughs> Who the hell are these two people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, excellent. Like two people online. Yeah. Cool, cool. Well, um, yeah, we'll, we'll obviously get to this in a bit, but of course your your name is German because you are German. By, yes. Uh, yeah, and... Um, Cool. So, yeah, as I said in the intro, you, you know, you do bilingual graphic design, which is pretty cool, um, German and English. And uh, we'll get to that in a bit. But um, tell us first, did you grow up here or did you grow up in Germany? So I was born in Germany and then after a couple of years, we moved to London, moved back to Germany. And then I moved here when I was nine and I've lived in the local area ever since. I used to live in Worcestershire and now I live in Gloucestershire. Okay, okay. And uh, what sort of brought your family over here in the first place? Yeah, so um, the UK is really welcoming to startups and my dad um, wanted to set up his um, company. So we came here because it was a good environment to set up a new business. But I also think that they had in mind that my brother and I um, would be able to grow up bilingual, which is really great, okay. to be honest. <laughs> Okay. And when you say the UK's sort of welcome startup businesses, um, presumably that sort of means that it's more difficult in Germany or, or it was? Yes. Um, so, for example, here in the UK, you can set up a limited company quite easily. But in Germany, for example, last time I checked, um, you have to have £15,000 on your bank account when you set up a limited. Oh, wow. 
Which is quite a lot for a startup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And I okay. think also, you know, the local grant schemes and I think there's a general sense in the UK that, you know, if you have a good idea, you start to innovate and, you mm. know, you um, you then seek help and then people help you along the way to put in the um, measurements in place. But sometimes in Germany there are quite a long... Um, list of things to do first so um before you even get started and sometimes that can hinder startups right okay so, but what do you think uh, sort of leads them to do that i mean is that uh, it sounds like it's quite a sort of careful approach perhaps you know you have to have that money there in case it all goes wrong and something to fall back on i don't know is, it, is that where it comes from yeah, I think um, the approach um, in Germany in business is, is you know, the long-term plan. You know, if you have a project, you know, first of all, everyone goes through the contract really um, carefully and might do all sorts of amendments before they're completely happy with it. Mm-hmm. But then that means that the um, project usually runs more efficient because everything has been sorted, but obviously until okay. you get started with the project, it might take a while. So I think they also incorporate um, the idea in setting up a business. You know, they want to make sure that you're ready for it so that the risk of failure is um, as minimal as possible. Okay, interesting. All right, so so more kind of upfront planning than perhaps we uh, we, c- we can get away with, <laughs> for want of a better term. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Interesting. So, um, obviously you've got sort of entrepreneurial background then. What did your dad come over to set up? Yeah. So he has a um, biotech company and, um, funnily enough, when I was growing up, I always used to look at my parents and admire them, but I always used to think, gosh, I don't want their job. And then, um, (laughs) (laughs) and then, um, when I, I left university and started my own business. So who knew that would happen? (laughs) Okay. Um, Why did you think you didn't want that job then when you were younger? Because I think I could just see, um, you know, the effects of how, you know, uh, running your own business has on your personal life, like that you're constantly thinking about your business. But what I didn't Mm. really understand as a kid is that, you know, those moments of being away from your business also gives you some breathing space to think about your business um, in a different way. So I didn't really understand that part of it. And obviously, to me, it was perfectly normal, you know, that um, that I could go up and see my parents whenever I wanted, um, Mm, (laughs) which obviously (laughs) is not normal. And, um, but also... You know, if we wanted to go away somewhere for the day, that my parents would arrange it so we could go away for the day, which is also not normal. (laughs) So I clearly didn't ask other people how their parents (laughs) worked um, because I thought that was normal. And obviously those are the great benefits of running your own business. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, it's funny when you're young, isn't it? You just, whatever your parents do is normal, isn't it? You know, like even down to like, you know, if your mum's older than your dad, you think everyone's mum's older than yeah. their dad or something like that. 
Okay. Okay. So you grew up. You grew up seeing that. Um, did, was there a point when you sort of did realize that? Was that literally later when you started your own business and you were like, "Oh, actually, I had a, a you know, it was slightly different to a lot of other kids growing up." Yeah, I think once I started running my own business for a couple of years, because I think at the beginning. I basically, I'd never worked for someone full time. I didn't mm-hmm. really know what having a job was. Um, yeah. I only had part-time jobs. So I was kind of creating it with a lot of naivety about what I could do. But I think that also helped me shape my business in the way that I wanted it to. Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, it's good to be a bit naive, I think, at the beginning, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all, we all probably, well... Speaking for myself, probably still am, but um, <laughs> there you go. So um, how, how was it when you first came over to the UK as, uh, I think you said you came over permanently when you were nine. Um, you, you probably coming from Germany, you were already speaking pretty good English, I imagine, by that age, probably better than I was speaking it when I was nine. <laughs> so actually, Germany has evolved since then. So at that yeah. time, we weren't actually... Um, uh, learning English so oh, really? I came over with no English and basically um, learnt it um, during um, school time okay. I was very fortunate that the school was very small it was a village school might have mm. had uh, 30 kids and you know they really right. tried to help me with my English and have like separate reading times and I never felt like I was on the back burner, even yeah, though I yeah, really well. was. Um, so, so that was a really good learning experience, especially because I, I was in year five, mm-hmm. and in year six, you previously had to do your um, SATs, your SATs. So mm-hmm. that really helped me um, prepare, really, um, because I had to learn English as quick as as quickly as I could. So I would be in the right um, set um, at, at high school, so the right um, okay. education level, really, for my classes. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's, uh, that's, that's great, isn't it? Because often you hear <laughs> stories of people, you know, transferring to a different country and just, you know, really struggling. But it sounds like you landed in an amazing place. Which village was that? Oh, it was um, in Pendock. Pendock, so big up Pendock Village yeah. School. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, excellent. That's uh, that's fantastic. Um, okay, so you got to grips with English, um, mixed in with the other kids, presumably pretty quickly as well. I, I'd imagine if there was only thirty in the whole school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Met them all. <laughs> yeah, met them all on the first day. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Okay, and um, and what were you like as a kid then, growing up? Were you a good student? I was, um, yeah, I was a good student. I really yeah. focused on um, learning as much as I could um, about each subject, and I was quite um, competitive as well with myself yeah. <laughs> to be <Okay>. better. <laughs> competitive with yourself, that's good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, tell um, us about that. Yeah, I think it's, it's about taking feedback on uh, and understanding, okay, where could I have done better you know also learning about which um learning techniques would work well for me and Mm. um yeah just finding out about um basically things that are being taught you know actually taking some interest in them and and you know almost um anticipating that you need them in later life um Mm -hmm. as well 
I found mm. that really interesting. Okay. Okay. Well, that's that's quite self-aware for someone in in primary and secondary school. <laughs> yeah, think? I, think... <laughs> I don't know. I just... <laughs> it just that's just normal to you? Yeah. Okay. No, I, I think that's amazing because uh, you know learning that thing of kind of taking your own feedback and trying to improve yourself is something that most adults probably struggle with. <laughs> I think so. Uh, that, that that sounds very impressive. Um, do you think that came from your parents teaching? I mean, um, had they kind of learned that and tried to pass it on to you? Yeah, I think discipline is a really important skill, um, to have in your life. And I think my parents definitely taught me discipline and carrying through with things, even though you didn't like doing them. Um, and I think that's really helped me. Like I was quite an independent learner as well. I'd, now reflecting back, I could have learned certain things in a different way, like spending like hours on end trying to learn something. You know, that's probably not the best way of learning something. But just mm-hmm. understanding that if I sat at my desk and I learned this, then I would have the reward um, which I gave to myself, to be honest, my parents didn't dictate that. I was thinking, okay, mm. if I do this and I do this well enough, then I can go in out and see my friends. Oh, so, wow. okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that that was my attitude, and I think that's that's been really helpful in my business as well. Like putting the long hours in, like I don't mm. expect anything else um, f- from it. Um, but I also think it's important for people that are starting up their business to also understand you you shouldn't work yourself to burnout either um Mm. even though um you really want the success um and that's sometimes really difficult to um manage um like being successful doesn't mean you know working your working hard to the to to that point Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and is that coming from a place of having seen your parents do that or having done that yourself um i think I think we all get to a point where we're thinking actually we could take a break. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I definitely went to that point as well, you know, where I'm thinking not being burnt out, but just thinking, you know, actually I need a bit of space, go for a walk, actually enjoy some of those benefits of working for yourself. Because I think Mm -hmm. um, personally for me, we get like trapped in the nine to five routine. And I think <laughs> this part, this past year has really taught me that actually I don't need to work nine to five. And sometimes, you know, I get a lot more done in that, um, you know, if I, ha- if I think, okay, I'm going to take the afternoon off, then mm. the morning's a lot more productive because I mm. have a vision <laughs> almost as if I was learning things for school, you know, that would be my treat to go outside. Um, my yeah. self-imposed treat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think I've had the same thing recently as well. Just, um, yeah, giving myself a little bit of space and just realizing that that's when the, the good thoughts come, isn't it? That yes. will take you forward. Definitely. Um, but I had my friend John Ord on a few weeks ago and he was saying it's very difficult to sort of place a value on that period of doing nothing, isn't it? Because we think, you know, yeah. should be doing something. But um, actually like just stopping and doing nothing is is actually valuable but it's hard to say I'm going to get x from it yeah definitely and I also think that's one of the key problems with people who price their work per hour Mm -hmm. because 
to be honest, those moments of creativity or things that have really been on my mind, like I need to solve this problem, like appear like when I'm most relaxed and I think, oh, well, I've just solved it. And then I muck it up on the computer and I think, oh, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I think people don't tend to um, value those things. You know, they don't, they obviously don't want to pay for your downtime um, when you do have those um, thoughts. But I think that's about leading your client as well, you know, about the return on investment with working with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose what they're paying for is your creativity, particularly with yeah. what you do. And and you can't say that this creativity is going to take me an hour, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, it could take 20 minutes. It could take three hours. Yes. Okay, interesting. All right, well, I'd like to loop back to that later because uh, I love talking about pricing because I'm pretty sad, but I find it very interesting. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, um, out of school then, you, you went off to university, did you? Yeah, I, I stayed locally. Um, uh-huh. I went to the University of Gloucestershire okay. and I did my graphic design degree there, um, which I really okay. enjoyed. And yeah. The tutors were really good because they actually had been in the industry as well. And, you know, they could feed back some of the hurdles that you'd faced, you know. And sometimes they give such, you know, direct feedback that you think, oh, you know, nothing is ever good enough. (laughs) But actually, (laughs) you know, that makes you really self-aware when Uh, you're judging your work. Because, you know, especially in design, like Mm. sometimes you just don't see the things because you you haven't had that um you know um change in perception and I think it also makes you aware that people are going to have different opinions and that's really good because as soon as that design goes out in the world you know it's out there so Mm -hmm. you don't want to provoke um a certain feeling or an idea that is not intended right okay okay yeah well uh uh, again, lots of good self-awareness. Sounds like it's uh, it's building. It's, it was building even <laughs> even more on what you had previously, which is is great. And um, yeah, how, how about in terms of putting work out there? Something I've been taught previously is that your work doesn't sort of reflect you as a person. Do, do you feel like that? And if someone if someone you know says they don't like your work, it doesn't mean they don't like you as a person. Yeah, I think. I I definitely am starting to understand the meaning of that, um, especially because you become so detached um, to that. Um, to you, you want to embrace their feedback, so your feelings mm-hmm. to that design become almost a bit more detached mm-hmm. because it's not like um, you know these were your ideas, and you know, but there's nothing wrong with having new ideas and new ways of doing things. And I think it's so valuable to also teach people how to give feedback um, because I have that all the time as well. Like someone might say, you know, it looks a bit too busy, but there, so you start taking things out because Mm. you think that looks busy, but Mm. actually what they mean is they want, um, you know, shades of color rather than different colors within the design. And I also think that's a, an important um, thing to talk your clients through. And that's definitely helped me because then it's 
you know, it feels a lot less confrontational because then probably they're also worried about giving you feedback because they think you're going to take it personally. But to be honest, mm. I just want to know what they mean. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, that's that's really interesting and realising that they don't necessarily mean what they're saying, but there's something in there and you've got to sort of figure out what they mean. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I also think, you know, just um, through some of the cultural work that I've been doing, you know, um, when I first started, um, some of the feedback that um, people in the UK might give, like, oh, that looks interesting or, <laughs> you know, things like that, when I didn't quite catch on what they actually meant. So I was just trying to solve the problem rather than being like, oh, okay, so you d don't like it. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay. we're not always as direct as we should be, maybe. Uh, no, yeah, exactly. Um, so... But then also, so I was just coming from it as on a, um, from a um, problem solving point of view rather than thinking, oh, they clearly don't like my work, you know, <laughs> I think that also helps, plays in my favor. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. So, um, after you'd done your degree, then you, you came out and started your own business straight off the bat. Yeah. I, it was interesting really, because, um, Basically, I started freelancing for this a great um, design web design agency in Cheltenham, and they really um, gave me a feel for working in a studio, which I hadn't had mm -hmm. before. Right. And um, obviously, it was on a freelance basis. And at that point, I was like, okay, so you know, I'm I'm working for myself, but I didn't really understand that that was actually running a business, as in building your brand and okay. then after a couple of months I realized actually I do want to grow my brand mm -hmm. um, and obviously you can do that as a freelancer but then I started to realize actually I want to work with the end client so I started going out networking at that stage okay okay so um yeah the, the, there's a, a big difference well not maybe not a big difference but there's a, certainly a difference between freelancing and building a brand that people are going to recognize and, and come to you for work yeah okay okay interesting so so you did that first contract with those guys and then basically realized yeah this is what i want to do and uh, uh and and you then took the steps to to start building your brand and building your business yeah um it was funny because first time i went to a networking meeting i was so nervous and it, yeah. i found it <laughs> Um, so different, you know, getting up at that stage and then, you know, meeting new people. And then it came to like the elevator pitch round. And I was thinking, oh, yeah. oh no, <laughs> what's this? <laughs> I've never done this in my life because, you know, at university, you don't get taught that. You get, you get taught yeah. how to pitch your idea that you've been working on, but not pitch yourself pitch as business, a business. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, so that was definitely a learning experience because I was so nervous and I kept stuttering uh, for the first few meetings. And then <laughs> I finally felt like, um, like I could overcome that social awkwardness and then I had one-to-ones with people. And it was really important to have that networking group actually, because it kind of uh, helped me understand what business was like and also okay. it made me feel like I was part of a community which I think was really important at that stage because I was 
you know, I was um, quite young, <laughs> yeah. starting a business and, you know, um, just being on my own and not having anyone really to talk to would have been quite lonely. And mm -hmm. that was really good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And and um, at what stage did you sort of niche to the bilingual design? Was that straight away or, or, or was that something that came a bit later? Yeah, so I really put it out there. I think when I, uh, in 2018, end of 2017, and funnily okay. enough, people, I had attracted, you know, work, um, which was in that, um, that, um, in that niche, but yeah. it just hadn't quite, it hadn't quite clicked. And the reason right. was also what I realized it was, um, because, you know, the, who I was networking with, they all have fantastic businesses. The thing is, they, they just wouldn't want to export anywhere, which is fine. Not every business has to do that to be successful. Mm -hmm. But then I just didn't really understand the value of being bilingual. So it was more right. when I when I got um, requests from my website um, to do um, – you know, to work on um, bilingual research reports. And I was thinking, actually, this is something I could really do, and I really enjoyed it as well. Right. Okay. Okay. So it was it was literally feedback from your clients, really, and responding to what they were wanting that 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 led you down that route. Yes, and I think it was also important to you know, obviously they they inquired because they thought I was. Um, working that field so it was good to have like you know those feelers out on your website mm -hmm. um because that also helps you and engage kind of what people are interested in because people in that networking group you know i i worked with some of them because you know i saw them so often and they got to know me but mm. having that external um approach through the website is kind of a different indicator of how people see your brand Okay. Explain what you mean a bit more. Yeah. So it's, so people, you know, people obviously want to work with, um, with you maybe, um, through like no like, and trust, mm -hmm. but when you have different organizations, um, for example, um, that operate on a global scale, um, like some of my clients do, you know, they, they look for other things, um, they look, mm -hmm. um, especially coming from, um, if it's like typesetting a report in German in English, you know, they might look for, you know, um, qualifications that you've done um, and other things that they might value. Um, so they, I don't really have that trust building element because they see trust as in if you complete tasks well and on time, then I trust you. Mm -hmm. So that's also an advantage of perhaps working with German companies because you can build trust in a different way. And, you know, they've been okay. a client now for a number of years. So that's really positive. And, you know, there are one or two people that I've worked with the throughout the whole time that I've been with them. But, you know, the project manager is always someone different. Mm -hmm. So to have that continual referral you know, they, we're not going to build a relationship like in that shorter space of time. Like I'm not going to know more about them personally, mm -hmm. but the way I've built trust with them is to complete things on time and to a good standard. Okay. Cause that, that's what they hold uh, as one of their values. And 
you've recognized that that's their values and that you need to I mean I'm sure you do that anyway but <laughs> it's great that you've recognized that you know that's what means the most to them yeah. and then been able to build the trust that way yeah it's interesting isn't it because we you know everyone talks about no like and trust all the time but yeah it can mean different things to different people depending on what they hold as their values I suppose can't it so you know Definitely. arriving on time for example yeah. might mean a lot more to one client than it does to another yes exactly and I think that's um, quite a British um, perspective of building trust you know and I think that's right. really important to recognize also that um for people who want to do business in the UK like if you look at um for example Erin Mayer's um culture scales you know she talks about um building trust is either like relationship based or more task based and obviously the UK is like slightly towards the relationships um based stages um, right. whereas um Germany is a bit more towards um you know the completing the tasks on time okay all right interesting so they, they put a bit more emphasis on that side of things compared to the relationship building side yeah and it's interesting really because you know um in Germany, there's a huge focus also on family businesses. And obviously, mm -hmm. the way family businesses operate is quite different. Mm -hmm. um, and they do want to get to know you. But on the, ground, on the grand scheme of things, if you generalize, you know, when it comes down to choosing who you're going to work with for the first time, you might choose it in a different way. Okay, okay, interesting. I'd never really sort of considered that point before, you know. It's um now I see why there's so much to dive into with the the bicultural yeah. theme and everything. It's uh, it's quite fascinating really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um I remember seeing those TV adverts for like I can't remember it was a bank or something, wasn't it? And they said, you know, about how different things mean different things in different countries, but it was always quite an extreme example. It was like, you know, here compared to to China or something like that. Yes. <laughs> it's, you know, it's 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 at play, but obviously between the different countries in, in Europe. But I suppose you, you could probably argue it's, it's at play between the different regions in the UK even maybe. Hmm. I yeah, I think, I think each region of the UK has their own kind of ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. And I've, I have noticed that um as well yeah yeah i mean it's different if you go to london and work for example um, yes. there's a different kind of working culture there i suppose and and you come out here and it's a little maybe i don't know don't want to generalize but maybe it feels a bit slower to people from london or whatever but maybe we place values on different things compared to to, to a company in london i don't know yeah i, th I think we do um place different values and you know, also the way um, your work day might be structured might be completely different to someone in London, which also right. plays a big role, you know, whether you have to, the, you know, in the days where you could still go to an office, um, mm. you know, factoring in that time to travel to the office um, on the tube will impact you, you know, in a different way to someone who just has to get in their car and drive 10 minutes to their office. Yeah, 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 and sort of recognizing it's empathy, I suppose, isn't it? And recognizing um, 
what that person's been doing or what what their life looks like and then being able to kind of uh talk to them in the right way or just appreciate what 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 they've had to do that day to get to work even (laughs) yeah and i think the pandemic has definitely helped with that being a bit more um um understanding of people's lives like there are certain things that happen on you know, conference calls or video calls that you would <laughs> not expect to happen in a meeting. Um, but that's fine because you, you understand that there's actually a person behind um, the work that's being done. And, you know, mm. they, they, you know, it's what, what do you mean by being professional? You know, it's actually being, for me, it's about, you know, doing a good job, whether that's at, um, you know, five o'clock in the morning when you do the work or like late at night, it doesn't really matter to me. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And it doesn't matter if your kids are in the background screaming when you're on a call or something. It's so, yeah. I mean, do you think, do you think we've, we've sort of seen a big cultural shift then over the last 12 months in that respect? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I I mean, I've only had my own experiences, um, Mm. But I think there is a bit more of an understanding. And, you know, when people say go um, going back to normal, it's thinking, okay, so are we going to take out that part of their lives, you know? Yeah. We don't expect, you know, people to bring their kids to work. But, you know, I've also had meetings where before the pandemic where the kid would play in the background um, and you know, that doesn't bother me as long as we can have a conversation, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> without being interrupted. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but that's so normal now that you just yeah. almost expect it, don't you? <laughs> you yes. expect a, a kid to walk across the back and uh, behind someone and uh, start playing on the floor or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, I mean, it's hard, it's kind of hard to imagine now that that wasn't normal, you know, 12 months yeah. ago, isn't it, really? Yes, definitely. But, uh, yeah, interesting. Okay, so um, I think when we met then at, at that networking event, um, you'd already, you'd already, uh, you know, taken up this niche because I remember it very clearly, and that's what I love about <laughs> niching and everything. And I've been having this conversation with people recently that, you know, networking's fine and it does work, but unless you've got like a clear message, you're kind of like banging your head against the wall. In a way, yeah. you can do like, you know, you can spend hours and hours and hours at networking things, and no one's really quite understanding what you're doing because your message is too broad. Um, but I, I very, very clearly remember meeting you, and I was like, right, she does bilingual design in the kind of science and technology field. Yeah, and it's really good to hear that feedback as well. Yeah, no, well, it's it, it's very clear and. Um, yeah, I, I think for me, like when I started niching a bit more, then I realized I, I found that going to those networking things actually was working. And it's not that they don't work. It's just that they, you have to have a clear offering. And as soon as I sort of refined my offering a bit, it just it, it had an exponential effect. Did you find the same thing? Yeah, I think you just grow into your brand a bit more as well. And, mm. you know, niching f- from, you know, um, the bilingual design and then further niching to the science and technology um, sector at that time was really important because I saw the science and technology sector as someone 
as a sector that delivered, um, you know, social change. And I, I th- still think that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I realized also um, is that, you know, I wanted to work with other companies who also had those values because I niched in in that sector because mm-hmm. of those values. So this is why I now understand that actually my values are about um, social um, change and um, delivering social value. Um, mm-hmm. So I almost broadened it out a little bit, um, yeah. but definitely um, niching down helped me um, to explore different um projects but also it helped me to collaborate with other people more Mm -hmm. which I really wanted to do um because I think having those different perspectives means an awful lot um and I think sometimes people shy away from that there's a lot of talk about collaborating but Mm -hmm. um how many people actually collaborate um when they're each running their own separate businesses Okay. Okay. So what what does collaborating mean to you then? Yeah. So I call them like a creative alliances. So if there's oh, yeah. a specific, <laughs> um, you know, project where I think it would be good, um, to collaborate with someone else, I'll make it clear to the client, um, that I'm bringing someone else on board. Um, mm-hmm. and that's really also for transparency. Um, because, you know, I want people to know if there's someone else on board. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, I, I'll deliver the work um, by myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as my business grows, I'd love to, you know, um, have someone else on my team, you know, um, mm-hmm. be employed as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, uh, well, obviously we've worked together and uh, I remember that, that the term, the creative alliance, and, and, and when you kind of, yeah, told me about that first and it, it seems to work really well and it, it solves all those problems doesn't it of anyone sort of thinking they need to pretend that they've got a big team or something you, you actually just go in and say look I'm collaborating with these guys uh, to deliver this project this is how it's going to work um, but ultimately I suppose you're responsible for it yeah yeah exactly and you know I I manage the project according to my own brand values you know mm-hmm. so the client almost you know benefits in two ways like the project is run as expected but Mm -hmm. also it has a different perspective and a different skill set as well which I wouldn't have Mm -hmm. yeah okay so you're able to sort of expand your offering uh in in that respect okay okay cool um I just wanted to loop back to what what we started speaking about a little bit which was the pricing thing then um, and and not pricing by the hour because uh, I mean personally I, I'm a big fan of that and not not pricing by the hour and I uh, but I don't do it enough I kind of have a bit of half and half really some projects are sort of on a day rate basis and some uh, are more on a project basis so have you moved completely to project project based pricing or package pricing. Yeah, I would say so. There might be one or two instances where it, because of a tender that I'm working on, you know, it's it's not possible to do it as a package. Mm. It has to be like an hourly rate. But other than that, yeah, I have moved on to that. And I think it comes down to like um, the, you know, the um, values and the value that you bring. And I actually heard it on um, summarized beautifully, that concept. Mm. Um 
on another podcast called The Kindness Economy. Okay. And um, I think that really resonates with me and um, what I've been thinking. So you obviously have your brand values, which people invest in and they might choose um, to work with you because you do other things other than delivering just work. You might also give back to like the local um, community or other communities, um, or you might be very sustainable in the way that you do things, but also the value that you deliver to the client. So the extra value. And I know that you're a big fan of that, um, delivering mm. extra value that people might not also expect. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's a good thing to do, isn't it? And that, that value can come in lots of different forms can't it yeah definitely and it's i think it's knowing um, knowing your target audience and i think to to be able to have all that you know have that brand reputation um you need to invest in your brand and you know people if those are the things that people make the decision from then why why would you just um ask them to pay for your time because you know there's so much mm -hmm. more in why you've won the job as well yeah. and also the security that comes with that because obviously your reputation is at stake mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely I, I think the part where people often get find it difficult with this package pricing is how to work out the package prices because you know, projects can vary so much and uh, and everything. So how do you deal with that aspect of pricing? Yeah, so I think um, that's because a lot of people might hide behind, you know, the results that they can actually deliver. Um, so I actually introduced um, something called um, uh, delivery time guarantees and also results guarantees. So um, depending on like the size of the project, um, you know, 25% is related to everything from my side being delivered on time. Okay. And the other 25% is um, based on the results that we agree um, at the proposal stage that I'm going to deliver. Okay. And I think that also helps people um, to understand that I'm equally as motivated as getting those results for them because obviously mm. they are tied in with um, the um, the amount that I'm being paid, but also kind of um, the reputation behind that as well. Okay, so you so you split it up. So so you work it out, I guess, based on you know actually how long it's going to take you to do the project, because you you need to know. I suppose, you know, this is going to take me 10 days instead of five days or something. But then when you give the package pricing to the client, it's split up like that into into the different sections. Is that, is that what you mean? Yeah, or, well, I, I actually work it out on the value that I think they're going to get uh, okay. doing okay. that. Value so that's the overall cost. But I just reassure them with having these guarantees, 25% and 25%. Um, that I am going to do as I say as I say I would do because I also think if I don't think I'm kind of going to get any results for them then then I shouldn't be taking on that project and I do mm. turn things down I think you know you have other things to do rather than doing this right now mm -hmm. because I just know it's not going to help them and you know at that stage and I also think you know I want to be seen as someone who gives good advice as well mm -hmm. okay so you're talking more like value-based pricing 
you're sort of looking at looking at what what the value is to them and then and then pricing it accordingly yes okay so what would what would be a sort of typical outcome that a client might be looking for from the work that you do um for example um about how many um new leads they have um Mm -hmm. and also sometimes it's about how many people um um take up a certain level of support with them um or how many um how uh, how the brand awareness kind of changes which obviously you have to put um measurements in place to track Mm -hmm. that um yeah but I think that a lot of people underestimate the value of a brand, even though they, mm-hmm. in their personal lives, they're buying on brand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but once they have that brand, you know, they don't, they can't see it in any other way. You yeah. know, they're thinking, wow, I have this asset and I can just reuse it over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's definitely, um, we all need to think about that a bit more, don't we? Building a brand and, and what that means and everything. I think you've articulated it really well. Um, the part uh, that I'm not so up to speed with what you're doing these days then is the, I think, the intercultural management training. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so that was really exciting addition to my business. And it really came from um, creating my podcast at the end of May last year. Yeah. So having the bicultural podcast really allowed me to find out about different ways of doing business across cultures mm-hmm. and also to meet different people. Yeah. And then I was thinking, you know, that I was becoming more and more aware, you know, that we all have our own perceptions um, because of the cultures we've been living in um Mm -hmm. because obviously we're all socialized you know even our families might have different cultures to one another and we live in the same village true (laughs) (laughs) very true yeah absolutely so i then decided to um um become qualified as a um business um trainer um Mm -hmm. in, in last year and um yeah so basically the work is about um in the uk um um, I'd love to work with more with um, with with the um, public sector. So actually, um, ha- and also charities, um, helping them to understand minority groups better, mm-hmm. um, who, whose f- first language might not be English, mm-hmm. and understanding about how they communicate and making that more inclusive. But then also um, through. Through building that, I've actually collaborated with um, Eva Tunis Salvador to create Local to Global, and that's um, that's a separate brand for my business, okay. and um, that's where we help um, new exporters um, or um, ex- experienced exporters um, export into new market. Okay. So then. The, the cultural training comes in as well um, because we brief them on how to operate in that market, but also that they understand any cultural, linguistic or branding requirements that they might have mm-hmm. um, in, for that new market. Um, so that's been a really good way of um, developing that area of business as well. Okay, well, so, <laughs> well, so it, it sounds like things are kind of, I don't know, you know, 
growing exponentially for you in that area. It's really cool. Um, as I say, I'd, I'd kind of seen seen a little bit on LinkedIn, but I hadn't quite uh, clocked exactly what you're doing. Um, that sounds very exciting. <laughs> yeah, and and I'm really excited that you know the work that I'm doing can be very um, relevant you know, um, in the local area or in the UK. So mm-hmm. I'm working with the public sector, charities and social enterprises to make a social impact in the UK. Mm-hmm. And then I also have that side um, where I help um, people um, overcome cultural barriers, either in the UK with minority groups, um, feeling more included in the conversation or mm-hmm. um, with um, UK companies wanting to export into a different market. Okay. Um, so that's been really exciting, really. And I've, when we're talking about niching, you know, I, I feel like it was really the right decision to make because I've had such good feedback. Mm-hmm. And it also made me realize that this is, you know, this is something that I really enjoy. So why wouldn't I spend my working life doing it? Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um but it's so interesting because this has all come from niching in the first place, <laughs> hasn't it? And yeah. like that's the big thing that people struggle with is uh, if I niche, I'm going to limit my market. We were having this discussion on the the monthly meetup that I run just last night. Actually, um, you know, people worrying that it's going to limit the market and limit their potential, but it, it it expands things, doesn't it? It might limit it, but it it pinpoints you to the the people that need you, which is going to be enough people. You know, unless you're like Coca Cola or something. You're going to have <laughs> enough people in in that niche to run your business, and then it opens up all these other doors. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I just think about, you know, if you were um, emailed by a client and they gave you obviously a specific brief and what they wanted, who would you phone up? Yeah. I would, you know, I would look at like some of the buzzwords and I think, okay, obviously I know this person really well, would they be a good fit? Mm -hmm. But you know, sometimes that the person that you're working with for a long time might not be a good fit. Like, for different reasons, where either experience, for example, or personality sometimes, or the way they run their business is just at a different um, pace. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really important. So if if they know nothing about your business apart from, you know, um, the services that you do, how do they make that decision? And people, you know, don't have a lot of time to think. So the way mm. the brain might give you the answer <laughs> might yeah. be, okay, I've linked this buzzword to that buzzword. Yeah. <laughs> um, here's your match. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's so interesting. So, yeah, just for me, looking back and seeing kind of joining up the dots, you know, you start the – you start the graphic design business, you, you see that you've had some success with helping people doing bilingual graphic design. You move into that that area and the kind of tech tech side of it a little bit, tech and science side. Then you kind of see that it's the social change part of that that you really like. Then you start the bicultural podcast off the back of that because you're following again what you – I'm putting words in your mouth. Tell me if I'm wrong. But because, you know, you uh, – you enjoy that side of things and then that opens up these doors to this this intercultural management training and and the second business that you've started as well is that kind of a a good summary yeah I really like that and you know you don't 
sometimes you don't reflect on that and you know it it's been so cool to also see you develop your business you know from meeting you at that networking event and you know what I found really fantastic is that actually you reached out you know you said oh you know let's meet and I think a lot of people don't do that you know which I also think um that they're missing out on and um, to be honest, I'm really thankful that you reached out because otherwise <laughs> all these other things may have taken a different direction, you know? Yeah, no, well, thank you. Um, and, and, you know, I'm glad I did as well. But you know, not everyone responds when you do that either, do they? So uh, it, it's two things. It's it's reaching out, but it's just also, you know, you kind of responding and saying, yeah, that's, you know, being open-minded and let's, let's meet up and just chat and, you know, and then, you know, we did some work together probably – what two years later or something you know yeah <laughs> that, that's the way it goes isn't it quite often but again I think f- for me it comes back to having such a clear idea of what you did at that stage because of you know your niche and and, and offering and everything it was uh it always makes it stick you know that table we were sat at you know <laughs> I, I probably can't recall really anyone else that was there particularly maybe one or two but and that's not because you know they were all really boring or anything it's just because I don't know what they did you know it was some general thing I think uh, yeah. hopefully no one I, from that table remembers or is listening <laughs> <laughs> it was a while ago anyway I don't I'm not I really don't, not putting anyone down I'm just saying that um yeah that it sticks out when you've got a, a specific offering I think um, and yes, thank you for replying and, uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and having a follow-up chat and everything it was cool. Um, cool. Uh, there was, what was I going to ask you something else? Oh, I was going to say about the podcast. Um, okay, cool. Because you run the, the Bicultural Podcast, which is at thebiculturalpodcast.com, which again is a cool niche podcast <laughs> you know um and yeah you know i've listened to a few episodes and and, and it's great you know you're it's very calming i found oh, <laughs> listening you. to your podcast i was like ah oh, i could listen to this and fall you know fall nicely asleep at the end of the day it's like you've got a very calm voice and uh, <laughs> oh that, that's really funny that you say that because some of my guests you know they're they're quite nervous when they come on yeah and then um and then at the end they're like oh my goodness this was a lot easier than I thought (laughs) and you know now being on the other side I can give you the same compliment you have a very calm voice yourself and make me feel at ease (laughs) oh good good thank you well uh no it's really good and uh yeah people should definitely go and check that out because you know as we've been discussing there's so much more more than I realized to the kind of cultural thing and and empathizing with where people are and what they might be holding as values and thinking and and how you can sort of tune into that um for for, i want to say better effect but that sounds a bit like you're kind of doing it for for an outcome but it's just to generally be a a nicer person isn't it really (laughs) yeah i think I think also, you know, with all the movements that have happened the, in the past year, you know, I think it's really important to just consider your own perspective, you know, for yourself, because it will help you 
in the mm-hmm. long run because you make more friends because the, you don't have these barriers and what i really think is an interesting point also is that you know there's something called like the unconscious bias so you know when they think when you think of a doctor you might see a male doctor and if you think of a nurse you'll see a female nurse mm-hmm. and actually research has shown that actually you need to change your environment to change your unconscious bias and i think that's a really right. important message to also say because people you know once they realize of all the um bias that they have because yeah. everyone has it but yeah. you just need to change your environment and change the people that you're surrounding yourself with and then you start to understand okay this isn't always um the way to think about um certain cultures for example or certain areas of the country as well which i think is really important mm-hmm. um you know there are different ways of doing that mm-hmm. interesting very interesting cool well um people can come and check you out at janina newman design.co.uk i'll pop that in the show notes you're on the linkedin at uh, Janina Newman, <laughs> just to spell it out. Although new, new is N E U M, and then man M A N. Anyway, I'll put the links in the show notes so that uh, people don't have to listen to me trying to spell things <laughs> for too much longer. Uh, and um, also at the biculturalpodcast.com. And um, yeah, cool. Thank you very much for your time, Janina. It's been uh, been really great because we've chatted loads over the last few years, but probably not for like an hour about your, your your whole past. So it's really, I mean, that's really why I start, one of the reasons I started this podcast was I was like, I want to talk to some of these people a bit more. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you for listening. This was very, um, very interesting to have such a conversation about my life. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> well, yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, he, he reflect on all the great things you've done. It's exciting. Oh, thank you. Thanks cool. Very much. Cheers, Anina. Take care. You've been listening to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. You can find links to all the episodes and show notes over at danbarkerstudios.com forward slash podcast. If you've enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show and connect more people in the region. Thank you very much for your time listening. I hope you've enjoyed it and we'll see you next time.